0: Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen.
1: Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We're talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential If you hear something that you like on this show, please share it. Please connect with me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen or HH Talk Radio, or tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. All righty, let's get to it. Then today we're talking about creating the habit of happiness. What it takes to actually rewire and reprogram the way we think and operate in the world. And with me in the studio today is Gretchen Rubin, who is the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestseller, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She is an an enormous readership both in print and online, and her books have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide, and she's been published in more than 30 languages. On her own weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Rubin started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. She lives in New York City with her husband and two daughters. Welcome, Gretchen. Thanks for joining us.
2: I'm very happy to be talking to you.
1: (laughs) And likewise, I am as well. Let's talk about habits because people always talk about the bad habits that they have or that we have as a species. But what about our good habits?
2: Well, you know, habits are like the invisible architecture of everyday life. Research suggests that about 40% of what we do every day is shaped by our habits. So if we have habits that work for us, we're much more likely to be happier, healthier, and more productive. And if our habits don't work for us, it's just going to be much more challenging. So I think it really is worth taking the time to think about how we can master our habits um, so that they take us closer to the life that we want.
1: Oh, you know what? I I like what you just said. What are some of the myths
2: about our habits? Well, one myth is that it takes twenty-one days, or twenty-eight days, or thirty days to form a habit. Um, It turns out there is no magic number. You know, there's not a number of repetitions that you can do that's going to mean that that habit. Um, is cemented into place, unfortunately. It just doesn't work like that. Um, Also, a big myth is that, you know, a lot of times when you hear how experts talk, they offer one-size-fits-all solutions. Like, you know, if you start small or you do it first thing in the morning or you give yourself a cheat day, um, that that's going to be the answer. And the fact is, those are good strategies for some people, but they're not not necessarily good strategies for everyone um, or all the time. And so really... Um the idea the myth is that there is a magic answer. There's a one way to do it that's gonna work for everybody. Where really what I found is that what you have to do is figure out what's true about you. You know, in some ways you're like other people, in some ways you're different from those people. What's true about you so that you can shape the habits to suit yourself? Um because that way you set yourself up for success.
1: I think what you say is very important and and valid, but the one unifying quality or one unifying habit that all of us need to employ in order to change our habits
2: is to practice. Well, that's true because a habit by its nature is something that you do more than once. So yes, you have to mindfully shape the habit so that mindlessness can take over.
1: Yes, and practice makes permanent, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So when people come to me and they say, oh, I want to change this or I want to change that or I want to get happier, tell me what to do to get happier. Um, it's really about the practice, being able to be fully yes. present in that practice that I think is what makes, makes it happen
2: for us. Well, and I think sometimes people want to focus on the, like their inner states, their emotional states, like things like their self-esteem or their motivation or their decision-making or their readiness and everything. And to me, I'm like, that's very abstract. That's very hard to know what's going on in there. Like, have you decided to change? I don't know. You say you have, but then you're not changing. Or you say you're highly motivated to change, but then change isn't happening. Like, what does that even mean? So I am very focused on action because behavior is something that's within our direct control and we know whether we've done it or not. So if you want to feel more loving, act in a more loving way. That you can control. You can't control your emotional state directly, but you can change your behavior. Or if you want to, you know, you're like, I'm just exhausted all the time. Well, you know, instead of working on, like I need to decide to put myself first to say, I'm going to set an alarm so that I go to bed at 1030. When that alarm goes off, I'm going to go to bed. By changing our behavior, then we change our inner state. And that's a much easier way than trying to work on our interstate and from that uh changing our behavior so i'm i'm very much in favor of um start with start with the behavior that's concrete and can be and you know whether you've done it or not and that's just much more straightforward i think
1: well and by starting with the behavior we are controlling the only thing that we can on the absolutely absolutely (laughs) you know ourselves absolutely that Absolutely. reflection in the mirror which uh, you know is very startling for people because they get yes. caught up in the story of yes. why they want to change or yes. their readiness to change yes. or their willingness yes. to change
2: yes and and it's sort of like you can think about that for months and months and months and but it's just just taking us up and also you know i think we often think that we act because of the way that we feel but research shows that to a very large degree we we feel because of the way that we act so you think that you're yelling and throwing things because you're angry but in fact your brain is saying like wow there's all this yelling and throwing of things going on there must be all this anger and that inflames your feeling of anger and so if you act the way you wish you felt if you act the way you want to you know the identity that you wish you had then that's a way to bring that about more more in a more straightforward way way. So if you you know, I have the habit, which some people think sounds silly, of kissing my husband every morning and every night. And some people say, well that's not very sincere. Like if you're doing it as a habit, like how like how heartfelt is that? And I'm like, well it's better to kiss out a habit than not kiss at all. But what I found is that when you act in a tender and affectionate way, you feel more tender and affectionate. And so it really it's maybe it starts as a habit, but it has a real uh, it does have a real effect on my emotional state as well. Um, but by making a habit of it, I don't depend on my emotional state in order to do it. I let my emotional state follow from my behavior.
1: So what you're saying is that your emotions will follow your actions. Yes. So it's go out and do it. You know, the, you know, the, the Nike catch-all yep. uh, uh, campaign of just do it is is really what we're talking about
2: here. Well, and it's, it's almost uncanny the degree to which it can work, in fact. So, like, if you feel very um, – if you're feeling shy, you might say, well, I'm going to act friendly, and that will make you feel friendlier. Or if you say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm feeling very resentful toward this person, but I'm going to act very thoughtful – and, um, and, and, and friendly and excited to see them. Well, you're going to change your feelings. It, it really is quite dramatic often how you can change the way you feel by just ch- changing the way you act. Now, again, some people feel uncomfortable with this because they feel like it's insincere. But often we feel many things at once. We feel friendly, but we also feel shy. Or we feel resentful, but we also feel grateful. And you can sort of decide, well, I'm going to choose to feel grateful towards my mother-in-law instead of feeling resentful of my mother-in-law or whatever. Over, um, so that you can sincerely get to that place where it's the more positive emotion that you want to you want to focus on.
1: Well this leads me to a question about adversity and challenge because all of us have people in our lives that challenge us or all of us at some point in our lives will, will be confronted with some kind of adversity. And you and I talked briefly briefly about this before we got started. but the the, the greater issue is what do we do? with this adversity what do we do with the darkness when it comes and knocks on our door
2: yeah no i think that it's it's very important to to think about that and how you're gonna uh you know the phone is going to ring for all of us so how how are you going to meet that challenge
1: And it it will, like I I said to people, you know, suffering is going to knock on your door at some point. And it's what you do with that suffering that is going to make all the difference. It will be the number one predictor of what happens next, it's how you you embrace what's happening. And I know for myself in the past several years, I've, you know, had gone through a divorce. I've had very, uh, a, a lot of difficulties and challenges with family members who've been ill. And if I hadn't been doing this work, I probably would have ended up very differently. So the resilience level that comes from being mindful, comes from being willing to really open the door when, it does, when that doorbell rings and say, okay, what is this about and how can I transcend
2: it is very important. Well, and it's interesting because when I wrote The Happiness Project, I wasn't coming from a place of deep unhappiness. And but part of what I wanted to do was sort of to get my house in order because I thought, you know, I won't now when I'm not under a deep stress, when I'm not facing a huge happiness challenge, I kind of want to. Get everything ready. Everything from things as silly as cleaning out my closets to to like getting in the habit of getting enough sleep so that I wasn't constantly exhausted. And I've heard from many people who 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 are going through big big happiness challenges, and they sort of they they often will say, well, that's true, and that you know that it's it's you should prepare just like when you've got a good job, it's time to save for retirement. Don't wait till you're out of a job to worry about savings. You know you need to save while like you've got a little bit extra. It's like when things are going right. Sometimes it's good to take that time to really build in the foundation so that when you come under that period of stress, you've got that strong foundation that's going to carry you through. And you see this with habits because sometimes people think, like, well, when you're under a lot of stress, then you're immediately going to turn to your bad habits. No, when you're under a lot of stress, you turn to your habits, whatever they are. Um, Habits are like a comfort zone to us. And so if you have good habits, you will follow your good habits. If you have bad habits, you will follow your bad habits. And they, th- for instance, they looked at students who were going through exams, which is a very stressful time as a student. Students who usually ate a healthy breakfast ate a healthier breakfast. And students who usually ate an unhealthy breakfast ate an unhealthy breakfast. And so even something like working on your habits, it's like, this is going to be your fallback. So how, are we, even, how do we prepare ourselves to have that strong foundation so that when adversity comes, we can really withstand it um, in a way so that we can be as happy as we can be under the circumstances, even if it's not really possible to have that be a happy time of your life.
1: We are going to um, pause for a necessary habit. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Gretchen Rubin, who is the author of Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home, all New York Times bestsellers. To learn more, please visit, visit GretchenRubin.com. On Twitter, she is at Gretchen Rubin. And on Facebook... Gretchen Ruben, Here come the tunes. We'll be right back.
0: Happiness
3: is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com.
1: Nothing gives happiness
3: like a free gift. Lisa cypress Cayman has made her 1st ebook. Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com. Love is in the air In the whisper of
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7 and we are talking about the habits of happiness, things that we can do to create um, a, a practice of good habits. And with me in the studio today is Gretchen Rubin. She is the author of several best-selling New York Times books, including Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. And before the break, we were talking about how when we Change our actions, our emotions will follow, and this is a way to begin to establish new habits. And Gretchen, um, chime in here because prior to the break, we were talking about. You mentioned about cleaning closets, and getting a good night's sleep as as tools that help us have good habits and ha- and good self care. Talk a little bit more bit more about
2: that. Well, one of the things that I, so in in my book, I, I identify 21 strategies that people use to make or break habits and we use the same strategies, whether we're making them or breaking them. And um, often people say, but where should I start? Like, what are the habits to start with? And a good place to start is with the strategy of foundation. And the strategy of foundation has to do with habits that go directly to our self-mastery. Now, when you want to create good habits or when you want to just behave yourself generally, you want good self-mastery because you want to be able to be in charge of yourself. You want to be able to follow through what you want to do. And there are four areas that go directly to our ability to master ourselves. One, as you pointed out, is sleep. If you are exhausted, it's going to be very hard for you to stick to a good habit. This is when people walk like a sleepwalker to the refrigerator and eat an entire pint of ice cream, you know, because they're trying to get that energy, they're drained, they can't keep their good habits. Um, so sleep. Another one is exercise. Not necessarily training for the marathon, but just moving around. Exercise trends to energize people. And so you want to, get, you want, you want to be moving around. Uh, another is eating and drinking. Funnily enough, one reason that people eat too much is they don't eat enough. You know, you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, you're, you're famished, and then you just kind of eat everything in sight. So by making sure that you're, eat, you're, you're, you're not letting yourself get too hungry, you, you keep yourself mastery high. And, and drinking, obviously, part of the fun of drinking is it lowers your inhibitions. And what do you do when you have low inhibitions? You give in to your bad habits. And then uncluttering. You mentioned cleaning the closets. And this is something that surprised me a little bit But for because mo- I think everybody gets that kind of sleeping is important for self-mastery. But it turns out that for a lot of people, being in control of the stuff of life makes them feel more in control of their life generally. And getting rid of stuff that you don't use or that you don't need or that's in your way or that's not in the right place and getting some clear surfaces and, and bare shelves – for a lot of people, is very energizing and really helps boost their sense of self-mastery. You know, when you walk into a kitchen where everything's put away, everything's labeled nicely, there's clear counters, and there's a lot of space, you just feel like you're more in control of yourself. Um, There's just something about the outer and the inner that are connected there for most people, um, so that outer order contributes to inner self-control. I love that.
1: Now that Better Than Before has been out for several weeks,
2: what are you starting to hear That is the most helpful Hmm. to your readers. Well, one thing that's resonating with a lot of people is the strategy of abstaining. And this is a strategy that works very well for some people and doesn't work at all for other people. And this has to do with if you're facing a strong temptation, um, are you better off giving something up altogether or having that a little bit? And so I'm an abstainer. So for me, it's like easier to eat no sugar than to eat a little sugar. So I don't eat any sugar. And that for me is easy. Um, But then like moderators are often people who keep a bar of fine chocolate in their desk. And then once a day or every other day, they have one square of fine chocolate. Like to me, (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to eat that whole chocolate bar right now. You know, I'm not going to dole it out over there. It would just haunt me um and so but a lot of times moderators and abstainers tell each other that they're doing it wrong or there's conflict in a family because one person's like don't buy it i'll eat the whole thing and the other person's like oh you have to learn to control yourself better it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong it's just that we have different ways of handling strong temptation this comes up with technology you know sometimes people are like i can't i can't go to espn.com for 20 minutes, I go for three hours or not at all. I can't go there. I can't. I can't. I can't play Angry Birds or whatever it is, at all. Because if I do it, I'm just going to spend too much time on it. And that's something that for a lot of people, it's very freeing, to realize there's no right way or wrong way. It's just that we have different approaches, um, and that each either way is valid. It's just what's true for you. Um, another thing that's really resonated, and probably if ev- if everything, this is probably the idea that is. People are finding most helpful. So I divide the whole world into four tendencies, um, which I call the four tendencies framework. And it turns out that for a very large percentage of people who I call obligers, they readily meet outer expectations, like a work deadline, but they really struggle to meet their inner expectations, like their own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. And what is really helpful for them is the idea that what they need in order to meet their inner expectations is external accountability. That is the, if you're an obliger, if you're that tendency, um, that is the key thing for you, external accountability. So a friend of mine was like, why don't I ever take take time to read? I love to read, but I never take time for myself. Then she joined a book group where you're really expected to read the book. And now she reads the book. Um, If you are having trouble exercising, you need to run get it work with a trainer, run with a friend, run with a dog who'll pee on the furniture if you don't show up. Start an accountability group of people who are gonna hold you accountable. Um, run for a charity where it's going to make a difference to the charity whether you run or not because they're going to mo- you're going to make money for this cause that's important to you. Think of your duty as a role model for your child. There's all kinds of ways to build in external accountability. But for obligers, it's very, very important that they have that. Um, and there's actually a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com, if people want to take a quiz to see uh, which of the four tendencies they fit into – But as I say, obliger is is the largest tendency and this idea of external accountability I think for many people has turned out to be quite transformative.
1: Oh, it's awesome because essentially you're outsourcing support. You're recognizing that you don't have the wherewithal in the moment to do it yourself but to show up because you give your word that you're going to show up for somebody else or a group makes all the difference. makes perfect
2: sense. Yeah, and often obligers sort of are like, why am I sacrificing for others? Why – do I, um, why do I lack self-esteem or I should be able to do it on my own? It's like, it doesn't matter. It's just whatever you need. That's fine. Just do whatever you need to do what you want.
1: (laughs) If it were only that simple, right? It is
2: that simple (laughs) though.
1: It is. I mean, I've
2: I've heard of so many hilarious and genius things that obligers have done to create external accountability. Like one, one obliger was like, I wanted to get up at 6am, but how do I make myself externally accountable for getting up at 6am? And I thought, how do you make yourself externally accountable for getting up at 6 a.m.? I mean, who's there? I mean, how do you do that? And uh, it, tur- it turns out what she did, she used Hootsuite to, to put in an automatic, f- embarrassing Facebook post that will automatically post to Facebook at 6.15 a.m. So every morning she has to get up and turn it off so that it doesn't post.
1: Oh, my brilliant! God. That is brilliant. Isn't That's- that hilarious? It's hilarious and just fun and good fun. And I think what I love about what you're sharing is that this is not hard stuff. No. And this is fun stuff. And that's what makes us want to do it. Yes.
2: Yes and and I mean, I think people get discouraged because they know they'd be happier if they got more sleep or they know they'd be happier if they made progress on an important thing or they practiced guitar or they spent more or they had Friday night dinner with their family or they exercised or they ate better or whatever. Um, but then they get discouraged because they're not able to make progress towards that aim. And really what I found is that having studied this, there's so many different things to try. Most people aren't, don't at all think about all the things that they can try and how they can pick and choose from so many um, to pick the thing that's going to work for them. And so even if you're discouraged because you've had trouble in the past, there's a lot of things that you can do that, like you say, it's not it's not that hard. It's just it's so much better suited to you. Um, that you're setting yourself up for success. For instance, a lot of people, you know, you, you often hear the advice, do it first thing in the morning. If you want to go for a run, get up first thing and do it. Well, that's fine if you're a morning person, but some people are night people and they are their most energetic and creative much, much later in the day. They can barely get out of Bed in time to get their kids off to school or to get to work on time. And the idea that they're going to get up early and run is just not realistic for them. It's not that it wouldn't be a good idea. It's just that's not who they are. They need to come up with a different solution. It's not that there's something wrong with them. It's not that they failed. It's not that it's not that it's not good advice for somebody. It's just not right for them. They set it up in a different way. They're going to have a much different uh, possibility of success.
1: And this leads me to one of the, 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 the strengths in positive psychology, which they say that people who have curiosity, people who are inquisitive uh, tend to be happier or it's easier for them to have more happiness in their lives. And I think what you're saying also speaks to that um, willingness to be an adventurer you know through trial and error to investigate to be a little scientist to figure out yes. what works
2: yeah i mean if some if one thing doesn't work for you try something else i mean that back to abstainers and moderators a lot of people said to me i have been trying to be an a, a moderator my whole life but now that i know i could that abstaining is like a thing that people do and there's and it's and it's not just me Then I'll try this and now I've had amazing success. So part of it is like if one thing isn't working, try something else. Like people often say start small, start small. Well, some people get bored when they start small. They're not interested in incremental change. They want something big. If you're not interested in making a small change, make a big change. You're exactly right. Use yourself as a guinea pig. If one thing doesn't work, try something else. If that doesn't work, try it another way. Um, Because we can all, you know, you you learn a lot about yourself from what works and what doesn't work.
1: So the the moral of the story is be your own lab rat.
2: <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, and I have this podcast with my sister. Um, That's what new... I want
1: to talk to you about. Oh, your, yeah, 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 Your new podcast. Yes, yeah. let's go there because we don't yeah. have much time.
2: Yeah. No, it's called uh, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And I talk about how to be have a happier, healthier, more productive life with better habits with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is hilarious, um, who's also she's a TV writer in L.A. and uh, And we talk about these things. And we don't, we don't let each other get away with much because we're sisters. Um, and one of the things is that it was new and challenging for us to do this. Um, but we both knew, like, it's going to be hard. We're going to feel frustrated and kind of incompetent and nervous, um, when we start out. But if we push through that, then we're going to really get to this place of feeling very excited about, Um, you know, trying something new, learning something new, um, is going to be ultimately very satisfying. And of course, you know, two months into it, that is exactly what it's proved to be. It's, it's this whole exciting new world for both of us and we're together. So that makes it even more fun. Um, but, uh, but we had to get through that kind of that, that difficult period in order to get to the, uh, to the part where it, it really kicked in and became fun.
1: Well, congratulations on the show. I think this, this sounds great. How does one access the radio
2: show or the podcast show? It's uh, on, you know, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you want to listen to podcasts. It's called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Um, Or you can go to my site, GretchenRubin.com. And every week I post, I do a post that's about, that, you know, has like a little run through of what the show is. And there's a a link there where you can click uh, right from your your phone or your desktop if you want to just go straight there from a website. So that's GretchenRubin.com.
1: Fantastic. And you have other resources on GretchenRubin.com as well, which maybe you could give a little taste of what's over there.
2: Yeah. Well, if you're talking about any of my books in a discussion group, like a book group or a spirituality book group or a work group, um, I have discussion guides and um, I also have starter kits. Some people want to start... uh, Uh, accountability groups for people changing their habits together. So I have a habit change starter kit for people starting those groups and also happiness project groups for people who are working on their happiness projects together. Um, Because as I said, for some people, accountability is for most of us, it's helpful for some people it's crucial. And so being in a group like that is a very fun and um, you know, no cost way of building in that accountability. And there's a habit change checklist for all the things you can think about as you're changing a habit. Um, anyway, lots of different resources there um, about happiness and good habits.
1: Well, thank you, Gretchen Rubin. To learn more, please visit GretchenRubin.com. On Twitter, the handle is Gretchen Rubin. And on Facebook, Gretchen Rubin. And let me give a plug for the books and the podcast show again. The books are Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. And the weekly podcast with her amazing sister, Elizabeth Craft, <laughs> is Happier with Gretchen Rubin. You have been a delight. And you are a happy habit for me today, Gretchen. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you very much.
2: It was so much fun to talk to you. Bye.
1: Nothing gives happiness
3: like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, "Got Happiness Now: Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life," available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
1: Saturday Afternoons on 97.5 Joy Riding the Coast with a global vibe Pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind
3: es tu
1: Joy Riding the Coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays 2 to 5 on 97.5 K-B-U, and RadioMalibu.net.
0: Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or
3: portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about happiness and productivity. We're talking about the most successful habits or ways to create new habits that uh, help us operate at our best. And with me in the studio this morning is Dr. Neil Fiore. He's a licensed psychologist, trainer, and author of numerous books, including The Now Habit, a strategic program for overcoming procrastination and enjoying guilt-free play, Awaken Your Strongest Self, Break Free of Stress, Inner Conflict, and Self-Sabotage, and The Now Habit at Work, Perform Optimally, Maintain Focus, and Ignite Motivation. He also has a significant coaching practice, and he also has developed these um, cards, and he'll tell us a little bit about it as we get into the conversation. Welcome, Neil. Thanks for joining us.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Lisa.
1: Well, you are a productivity guru, and you are considered as such by many in the know. You've contributed to numerous journals, including the New England Journal of Medicine. You continue to contribute to Psychology Today, Fitness, L, Glamour, Entrepreneur, and Boardroom Reports. So share with us the most common habits that people have that get in their way of being productive or even just simply enjoying their lives.
3: Well, a lot of it, I think, is self-doubt and concerns or not really dealing with the issue of worth and self-worth. So we have in this country a belief system that says your worth as a person will be determined by your work. So if I was to pick out one thing, I would say that's the one that's the stumbling block is this belief. And it's more subconscious than conscious. That people just assume that's true, that your worth as a person will be determined by your net worth at the bank. It will be determined by your achievements and awards or your IQ score. As opposed to having innate worth, the kind of innate worth you would want to give your children. You'd want them to feel you have worth regardless of what happens, even if you get a C in your math exam. So that's, that's the main one, and that's a deeper psychological issue, of course.
1: Indeed it is. So what I hear you saying is that self-esteem, self-worth, of course are the words you just mentioned, and really believing in oneself or being true to oneself in essence, yes. um, is becomes an impediment. The lack of these qualities become an impediment towards uh, achieving productivity and in fact, happiness.
3: Yes, and so as an example, uh, having published six books, if I give the manuscript or that book to an editor and say, here, please judge my worth, let me know how I should feel today, I would procrastinate. i have to hold on to it until it's perfect. So at the surface level, it looks like perfectionism, but actually what I'm doing is trying to defend or avoid my wor- having my worth judged by someone. I, however, they told me this. I mean, I've dealt with dozens of editors They've told me that I turn it around very quickly, and I said, well, of course. I want your feedback, not your criticism of me as a person, but your feedback on this work so I can make it better. So they're not judging me. They're giving me feedback about my work. I hand it in early, or I give a beta version to use some um, computer language. I, I give them the beta version, and then we try to make it an alpha version working together and giving me feedback on how to make the work better. But that work is separate from my worth as a person.
1: This is a really, really important um kernel or gem for all of us to understand and probably the root of everything that if we come to know ourselves as possessing value that we are worthy and it's us coming to know it as the individual not being validated by external circumstances although we all love the good you know the atta girl the atta boy the nice strokes and acknowledgement but we need to come to know it within ourselves then we uh have a better chance of performing optimally
3: Yes, and related to that is the issue of asking why. Why do I have this problem? What's wrong with me as opposed to focusing on the task and just doing the job? So whether it's playing in the Super Bowl or dancing with the stars or doing an exam or passing the bar exam, You really can't be doing psychoanalysis in the middle of those kinds of issues, those kinds of tasks. You need to focus on what's the next question, what are they asking, uh, where do I throw the ball, and so on, as opposed to what's wrong with me, why. So again, it's related to this issue of self-doubt or psychoanalysis instead of focusing on the task in about one to two seconds going from thoughts about why to an exhalation, a karate shout. focus here, do this now, what are they asking on this question, what do I know now, not why didn't I study before.
1: I think you're hitting on something extremely important for our listeners to understand. And this is, um, this is where there's a bit of a separation between a traditional psychological approach to problem solving and a coaching, um, uh, or mission driven approach to problem solving that, you know, psychology really tries to figure out why we do what we do. And I believe that coaching really focuses on how to get what we desire done.
3: Um, I would disagree somewhat, because I am a psychologist, and I'm doing dialectic behavioral therapy, and I'm also doing solution-focused therapy. So in psychology, we're not necessarily asking why, at least in behavioral psychology, but how to get unstuck, how to get moving, how to become more productive, how to become happier, if you will, uh, how to be more content, and how to be more your full self, not... The assumption that spending time on why it started, I love this strategic psychologist. They say the attempted solution is the problem now. The original cause or the original why is basically irrelevant. It's like what you've learned to do, what you, the ways in which you've coped ineffectively, is really maintaining the problem. So I like to focus on the how and what we can do now. Now, in this moment, is a kind of mindfulness. It's the only moment there is to be productive. What can I do now, and when can I start? When can I start? (laughs) Right now. Yeah, and what can I do for five minutes? As opposed to, I have to finish all of this work. So here we get to another point, and that is, I've really come to believe that the way in which you talk to yourself, the way in which you talk to your workers, the way in which you talk to your mind and body, your mind and body are your workers. If you're saying to your mind and body, or to a teenager, you have to finish all of this work, do it perfectly, and suffer with no fun in your life, and by the way, your worth will be judged. You've created procrastination. Have to means you don't want to, that creates resistance. Finishes in the future. It creates anxiety. Your body cannot get into the future, so you have stuck energy. So I've replaced those six statements with the statements of producers, people who are very productive. I am choosing. It's under my control. I choose to start, or I choose not to start, but I choose to start rather than finish. I choose to start for five minutes or 15 minutes to get a fear inoculation shot, to do a rough draft, I choose to start for five minutes to do a rough draft knowing I have plenty of play in my schedule and my worth as a person is safe from judgment. I have worth, self-worth with me.
1: Love it. Makes perfect sense. And I love the commitment to five-minute increments. You know, these are like baby steps.
3: Well, it it's, in a sense, desensitization. Um, if you're saying you have to finish it all, that could be 40 hours, and you can't do that today, so your tendency is to avoid it and do something else for five minutes, like check Facebook. But now <laughs> what we're doing is we're focusing and getting a fear inoculation shot, so we're beginning to break it down.
1: You yes? mentioned the, the, the value of play. And this is really important. We, we, we—I don't believe we play enough, and I think this does get us into trouble when we don't play. Yeah,
3: yeah. Many of my uh, coaching clients and my therapy clients are are working just outrageous number of hours, and so they begin to resent their work. It would be like saying to a four-year-old, "Let me tell you about life. Life is all about doing your to-do list. There's no fun." You really have to study hard. You have to take your ballet lessons. You have to do this. You have all these have-tos and to-do lists, and you have to finish it all. So when you have play in your schedule, and that's part of my book, The Now Habit, when you have play in your schedule, you know that you're living your life. You have committed time with friends and a gym class or a yoga class, a music class, That makes you less resentful. It also means you start your work sooner because you know at 6 o'clock you're going to meet friends for dinner. You have time set aside for sleep. That means you start earlier in your day. So it actually works to lower resentment about work, and and it works psychologically to get you to start earlier on doing quality work for limited periods of time.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I in my practice as well, I have people who are are under a tremendous amount of stress in their daily lives, and they will say to me, "I don't have time to play." And I said, "Sure, you do. You just have to program it. You have to allow yourself the gift of clocking out for a few minutes to go do whatever is that pleases you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be more productive. You know, it actually gets the creative juices going when when we play.
3: Yes, and And of course, it leaves that time for the thoughts and the seeds that you planted earlier in the day or the night before. It leaves time for them to grow creatively so things begin to come to you, ideas come to you, the night shift works on it while you go to sleep, your conscious mind you goes to sleep, the rest of you continues to work on it. And so we now know there's numerous studies that playtime and meditation time and fun time really makes you a lot more productive. It makes you less resentful about work, but it also means another part of your brain is working on it when you, the conscious you, goes to sleep or is having fun.
1: Well, we're going to take a little dance-off for a break ourselves, and we'll be right back. To learn more, please visit neilfiore.com On Facebook, Neil Fiore, and guess what? On Twitter, that handle is Neil Fiore. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. If you
0: feel like happiness Happy. If you, know what, you. Happy. If you feel right. what you. Want.
3: Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming, where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details.
2: Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day.
0: I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't.
1: Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking with Dr. Neil Fiore. He's a licensed psychologist, trainer, and author of several books. And we're talking about productivity and and procrastination is what we're going to get into a little bit now. So, Neil, how does one um, start to identify negative habits or influencers on our performance?
3: Well, I, I ask my clients to take a look at what they're doing now. These are the defaults that we automatically do and to consider whether or not they're productive or they're distracting. So these are the habits or default patterns that we all have, that we've developed uh, earlier in life that don't fit us now. So there's there's a two-step process. One is to have a clear vision of about where you want to go and what's optimal in your life, the way you want to feel about yourself, the way you may want to have inner peace, the way you want to live your life from choice rather than have to or want to, and what takes you away from that, those kind of habits and behaviors that take you away. I I work with uh, cancer patients, for example, and I had one patient say, my life has become very simple, it's very Shakespearean, It's to be or not to be. To be fully alive, these are the kinds of thoughts and activities and focus I have. This is how I spend my time. Not to be is anything that takes me down or distracts me, and it's very simple. And it's that kind of movement. Is this a not-to-be kind of activity or person, or is this, once again, like a karate shout, contributing to how I wish to be fully alive? in the time that I have in this life. So I wanna know my default patterns, the patterns that take me into negative places, and I wanna know how to move from the negative to the positive. To say it differently, I put an elastic band on the negative distracting thoughts, and that elastic band pulled me back on track just the way you would with a car staying in your lane in the traffic.
1: What are some other ways that we can concretize this vision that we hold for ourselves? You know where we want to go. Keep ourselves facing, you know, it, it, towards our true north.
3: Well, a lot of, a lot of people start with a particular goal, like I want to climb Mount Everest or run a marathon or have a million dollars or these days ten million dollars, but. What we really wanna focus on is the emotion and feeling of having the reward already. So I wanna imagine what it would be like to have that ideal partner in my life or have that ideal job and know what that feels like so that my mind and body have a sense of passion about it so that the emotional aspects of the brain and body are moving toward that sense of I can see myself one year or two years or five years from now in an ideal state of health. I, I see that person with their eyes shining and glowing, that twinkle in their eye, physically healthy, knowing that they live in a place that they love and so on. I want to have that sense of myself just the way I would on a movie screen. And I, I want to keep that image alive, that place in the near future where I feel it and see it. I've already achieved the other goals. So I'm living a life in a pretty much ideal situation for me.
1: So living as if, living in uh, in, in a now perspective as if that goal has already happened. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, – I I I'm assuming what you're what you're getting at and correct me if I'm wrong is that once we can really get into that space and feel what what that is like that the emotions will then follow that action.
3: It, yes, and and I'm having the emotions so the action follows and you're giving a blueprint to the brain and the brain subconsciously works on it and directs you there. All right. So I am moving then on the path to the goal. So if I only have a goal, then I'm always striving and telling myself I'm not there yet. If, however, I'm able to embody it now, I'm taking the steps today that move me toward the goal. So effective goal setting involves that I have not only an ultimate goal, what I would like to achieve but a functional goal that tells me what to do on the path today so this is what I'm going to be doing to lose 10 pounds today I'm going to be buying a salad at lunch this is when I'll be exercising so the mind and body or your workers need a functional goal about when to start what to do on the path to the ultimate goal <clears throat>
1: but I I think that that what you're saying the, the living as if is is an action step that, that if somebody who whose set point uh, t- uh, pr- towards productivity towards towards positive emotion is low and they wish wish to change it it is the um, living as if taking that action step making the commitment to do one or two small things differently you know these tiny little interventions then the emotion follows that it's, that it's hard to make the brain actually believe that it has shifted. So we have to act outwardly to then make the shift uh, move.
3: Well, we want to be more effective managers and communicators telling the mind and body specifically when to start, what to do for five minutes. I am committed. I am choosing to take this step regardless of how difficult or how lacking in confidence the ego is, or how fearful my ego is, I, as my executive self, my prefrontal cortex, human brain, I am the one choosing to start. I'm the one who can choose to do my income tax, can choose to take courses toward a degree. I'm the one choosing to get surgery. I am in charge of my life.
1: In essence, really operating as the CEO of oneself.
3: Exactly, and, of course, neuroscientists call it executive brain function.
1: Let's talk about the law of reverse effort. This is interesting.
3: Well, my, my father was a bit of a mechanic and electrician, and he taught the three of us that when you are turning something and it doesn't move, you're going in the wrong direction that it's supposed to be effortless or easy. It's supposed to turn easily, and if you're struggling, it's the wrong direction. Now, I did not know how that was so heretical against the American work ethic, because the American work ethic is really puritanical and says you're supposed to try hard and struggle. In fact, in America, one of the best things you can say about the person is they worked hard. Well, I always thought that was silly. It's like, didn't they work smart? They always worked hard. What about working <laughs> smart? So um, it's the law of reverse effort says if you're attempting to push something, you're pushing on the door and it doesn't open, you might pull it and see if it opens easily. But a lot of people think they need to try harder, try harder. And there is, you know, a little bit of that, Yeah but there's a point where you really need to understand that you're going in the wrong direction. And in fact, there is the Jerry Seinfeld show where there's Opposite George. They decide that everything that George does doesn't work out, so they're going to he's going to do the opposite of everything. And it's just a wonderful little clip of him ordering a different sandwich, saying something different to a woman and he says to her, "Hi, I'm George, I'm bald, unemployed, and I live with my, with my parents. So instead <laughs> of lying, he says just the opposite, and it works out beautifully.
1: Well, it makes me think of the, the, some of the writings of Joseph Campbell where he talks about following one's bliss. And and I think really what he means by that is not, you know, it's not the annoying yellow smiley face that we we talk about adoringly on this show. It's really about finding uh, our best and right place for ourselves. And, and he says that when we do find our bliss, that doors begin to open where there were once walls.
3: hmm yes. Yeah and that also means you don't have to know all of the doors in the entire trip but you begin to take a step where there is passion and interest and a door will open and then you'll make another decision and you'll find there's another door and after a while when you look back on your life or you look back over 20 years it looks as if it's a direct line but in fact it was a number of small decisions a number of small steps where there was passion there was openness. There was a clicking, a connection with something in you that you didn't even know you had.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hence the hero's journey, you know, which is really what we're talking about. You know, how do we um journey through our lives in the most heroic, whole and wholesome way possible.
3: Yes. And that also means that I'm quite often going against the prior generation or my parents because i am on an odyssey and odysseus is taking a journey and you're forming your own path for today what is happening today what are the opportunities of today and the skills that you have today not what you were struggling with 10 years ago or 20 years ago
1: we are out of time and I want to make sure we direct our listeners to neilfiore.com. And let me spell that for you. It's N E I L F I O R E. And on Facebook, the page is Neil Fiore and on Twitter, the handle is Neil Fiore. Dr. Neil Fiore, thank you so much for sharing yourself with us and your tremendous work. And to learn more about Aunt Neil's books and the cards that we spoke of at the beginning of the segments, you can go to his website. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Gretchen Rubin and Dr. Neil Fiore, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And thanks to our amazing producers who make us shine each and every week. We thank you and appreciate you. Go out and make it a good one.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag HarvestingHappiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.